Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. I'm a real estate agent with Halstead, but Rediscovering New York is not a program about real estate. It's about New York City's extraordinary neighborhoods and their amazing history. On most programs, we focus on a particular neighborhood, exploring not only its history, but also its energy, texture, and its vibe. What makes that neighborhood special? And we don't do it with me pontificating about it, but we do it through interviews with urban historians, preservationists, local business owners, artists, and interesting neighborhood personalities. Sometimes we host a show about an interesting part of the city or theme about New York and its history that's not about one particular neighborhood. You might focus on a park, uh, the city in an age of a particular social or political movement, uh, or unique New York architectural phenomenon. Next week, we're actually going to host a show about the history of cycling in New York and also talk to someone from the Five Borough Bike Ride. That'll be an interesting show. Uh, And tonight, we are showcasing uh, both a neighborhood and a very distinct part of town, Union Square. Union Square is uh, sometimes referred to as the park in the square, but also the neighborhood and the surrounding blocks. We have two guests tonight. Our first guest is Kevin Draper. Kevin is a sought-after New York City historian and co-founder of a company called New York Historical Tours. An impassioned native New Yorker, Kevin actively brings to life the incredible and inspiring stories that have made New York the most exciting and influential city in the world. I would agree with that. For over 10 years, Kevin has provided top-rated first-class tours and New York experiences to locals and visitors from all over the world. His dynamic knowledge, professionalism, and gift for storytelling have awarded him consistent five-star reviews, a TripAdvisor Certificate of Excellence year after year, and won the accolades of the most discriminating clientele. Kevin has led historical talks and lectures for top universities and Fortune 500 companies and is a respected historical consultant for major media and publications, including CBS, ABC, Bloomberg, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. Kevin, welcome to your first visit to Rediscovering New York. Great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, You are a native New Yorker. What part of the metropolitan area did you grow up in? So I grew up in actually Long Island um, pretty much from when I was born up until uh, college. Then I moved into the city. But it was about 45 minutes away. So basically my entire childhood, my parents would bring me into the city. So I sort of started getting into my blood, so to speak, growing up as a child coming into the city. And here you remain. Yes. <laughs> How did you get into the business of illuminating and entertaining New Yorkers and also visitors uh, about New York neighborhoods and about the incredible history that we have? What, what had you do what you do? So, I mean, growing up, I always had this passion and fascination with the city. I always wanted to know more. I always wanted to know about the buildings and the people that lived here, the people that worked here things like the Empire State Building and places like Madison Square Gardens. I was always fascinated with that and always read a lot about it. And I would, whenever I was with my family, my family or my friends, I'd always be sort of pointing things out. Oh, this is this and this is that and this is this. So I had a completely different career path originally. And becoming an historian, focusing on New York City is one of those things where people would say, you know, if you could really do what you love and make a career out of it, would you do it? It's much easier said than done, but I thought well, why not? Why not give it a do this? I mean, can I really do something I really have a passion for and make it a living? Then that's how I became a New York City historian. What track were you on before you decided to see the light and uh, as being an amateur historian myself? Um, I was in uh, the hospitality business for a long time, so working in hotels, basically the hotel industry is the best way to put it, but uh, yeah, so I was in the hotel industry for a long time, so... 
Well, we're talking about Union Square tonight. Um, let's first talk about its name. Uh, it's kind of a misnomer, and a lot of people just make the assumption also that given the history around the Civil War that New York has, that Union Square actually refers to the Union, but it doesn't, does it? No, actually not at all. Um, the two main roads, which are actually were originally Indian trails, you had the Bowery coming up from Lower Manhattan and the Bloomingdale Road. Both these roads pretty much went down from where Wall Street is today and went all the way up to the end of the island, and that was actually originally Indian trails. So when the Dutch came here 400 years ago, they just started continuing to use those those trails, widen them. Uh, the British came in, did the same thing. And basically the two roads cross each other at around where 14th Street is today. And what happened was, is in 1811, when the grid plan was put into effect, the idea was to sort of have the avenues go north and south, streets go east to west, and there was a debate of what to do where these two roads crisscrossed, where kind of formed sort of almost like a union, this little area. So it was decided just to leave it and to put um, essentially a park, a square there, because they eventually when they came up with the idea of Central Park, but before that, they knew they had to have at least something for the people of, of the city to go to, to have, get some fresh air and have a, a park, basically. Um, so that's really what it is. It's, so it has nothing to do with the union or unions. You know, if you think of unions, when you, it has to do with the actual streets crisscrossing. Hmm. Uh, actually, in New York, it, what's, what's, one of the things that, that's interesting about the grid plan is that originally there were not a lot of big parks, but they did... Uh, uh, sort of plan for these little parks, and most of which happened to be along Broadway. Uh, uh, Union Square, Madison Square, Verity Square, and up, up, all, the way to the, up all the way to Harlem. Um, was 14th Street originally laid out as a wide street in the grid in 1811? Did it, was it always planned to be that? Yeah, f 14th Street, 34th Street, 42nd Street, and they did have that more or less planned out. Um, and, you know, it's funny with the grid system, they didn't just actually lay all the streets right away. It was sort of more on paper. It was as the years went by, they slowly but surely kind of started to build the roads further and further north. Um, but when that grid system was actually, when they were planning it, the city was already almost up to where Union Square is today. So they, they had a pretty good idea that would probably be uh, a very... Um, crowded area you know they, they felt that the city was that was definitely going to be sort of a, a focal point of the city where 14th street is before the streets were you know really laid out to the point where they started to plan and build uh, on, on blocks um was what was union square was it was there only a farm there was it used for anything else? actually it was a potter's field so in new york city almost immediately um we had an issue of well what happens when people pass away um, now, the churches further downtown, basically, you had to belong to the church, and it was actually rather expensive to get buried in a church, to get a plot. So what about the people that don't have money, the poorer people? Um, especially, I mean, believe it or not, we had a homeless problem back then also. Um, so the question was, what do you do with people that don't have the means to be buried? And they were potter's fields. So basically, they would big a, dig a big ditch, and that's they would put all these people in sort of a mass grave. Washington Square Park is a potter's field, matter of fact. Uh, now, Washington Square Park, there's about 20,000 people buried there that are actually still there. 
Union Square, when eventually that was going to be developed, that was a potter's field and basically did the same thing they did with Washington Square Park. They basically covered it over and just trying to make pretend that there was, you know, nobody buried underneath. But when they were building the subways, most of the subways are underneath Union Square. That's when they took everybody out. So there's actually nobody actually buried there anymore, but it oh. was a potter's field. Oh, wow. So that must have been the Broadway line because the the uh, four, five, and six actually goes a lot went, went along Fourth Avenue and Park Avenue South, but it didn't go in the square. But actually, the Broadway line it goes right under Union Square. That you're right, okay. and then the stations itself underneath. Mm-hmm. So they just basically dug everything up. Kind of a little question, you know, were there a lot of remains, or where did they put them? Did they move them to Hard Island? They kept or? it re- well. You know, it's funny because they they keep it very quiet. Even today, every they just recently. Um, they when they were doing some work in Washington Square Park, you know, they usually keep that very quiet when they find something. So there's no real official record of what they did with who was dug up. I mean, they probably ended up on Hart's Island or something, yes. Because mm. that's actually the city's potter's field today, is Hart Island, so it's where they take everybody. And I, I actually, um, I'm, uh, I'm on the mailing list for the Hart Island Project. If anyone's interested, uh, you might be as well. And I was a little surprised to hear that uh, almost a million and a half people are buried, have been buried on Hart Island from the time it started as sure. a potter's field. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, let's fast forward a little bit. The, uh, about a month ago, we had a show about Gramercy Park, and Gramercy was developed by Samuel Ruggles, um, and I thought that his main claim to fame was actually Gramercy, but he did have some, some say in what happened around Union Square. He was very well uh, politically connected, so... Everything, the whole history of how Gramercy Park happened, I mean, that he was the one that really spearheaded that and really pushed that through. Um, and Gramercy Park was just a few blocks from what would be Union Square, so he actually wanted to develop that also. Whereas Gramercy Park was a little more on the higher end when it was being developed. Um, I don't know, but I guess you'd call it upper middle class. He was developing for more of the middle class a little bit further south, which would have been Union Square, so he actually did have a hand in that as a developer mm-hmm. also. And uh, some of the entertainment around there was a little over. I was, uh, in doing some research for the show, I was uh, kind of pleased to find out that the city's first theater district was around Union Square. When, when did that start? When, uh... So if you would go back to, say, the American Revolution, go back to, say, the 1770s, 1780s, pretty much everything would have been below where City Hall is today. As we get into the 1800s, everything is slowly working its way uptown. So, yeah, so... Basically, the theater district would have been all around what is today Union Square. Not just the theater district, but hotels were being built there, restaurants, uh, eventually uh, a shopping district will pop up there. And then from there, it'll, it'll work its way north and head up to what would be uh, Herald Square. And then finally, it would head up to what is today Times Square. So you're looking around early 1800s to the mid-1800s when it was actually the theater district. Hmm. I was on a walking tour around there a couple of years ago and was actually surprised at one of the buildings, I think it might have been on 11th Street, actually was a hotel, and what stood out to me about that was uh, uh, Ulysses Grant wrote part of his memoirs actually in that building he was staying here uh, in the city, and he, like, right in that... Uh, and there's another interesting thing, too, actually, uh, speaking of presidents, when um, Lincoln was actually when assassinated, when he died, when they brought his body to New York to be viewed... One of the mansions that were on Union Square was the Roosevelt Mansion. So it'd be Theodore Roosevelt's grandfather's home. And that home, when when Lincoln, when his funeral procession came up along Union Square, there's a very famous photograph just of the whole square 
historians figured out, they looked at the mansion and realized that that was the Roosevelt mansion, and Theodore Roosevelt and his brother were actually hanging out the window, window looking at watching the, wow. the procession go by. And there's actually a statue of Lincoln in Union Square now. So it's had an interesting history when it comes to some of our presidents. Wow. Um, also, other history, uh, Calvert and Vox, who designed Central Park and later Prospect Park, and also later Delaware Park in the city of Buffalo, a lot of people don't realize that, uh, they had a hand in some redesign of the square, didn't they? Yes. I mean, after the success of Central Park, and then, uh, then Prospect Park, which, by the way, both of them actually say Prospect Park was their masterpiece. They've kind of learned from whatever. They, they said their mistakes in Central Park, but they went to Prospect Park. But then the city brought them in for Union Square to actually redesign and develop Union Square to make it more um, um, pedestrian-friendly, just to make it more of a park. So they did do that. Sadly, when they actually went to put the subway in, a lot of it was all—it was all ripped up, and it was completely redone. Oh. So their actual design, there's really nothing left from what their original designs were. Um, but they did—I mean, technically, you can say that—that that they did originally help design it, and they did expand it a little bit too. So the actual space of it, what we have today, was what pretty much what they had laid out—the size. Oh. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Kevin Draper and Union Square. Be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow Me Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're, We're your digital, digital connectors. connectors. Woo woo! <laughs> <laughs> Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back to Rediscovering New York with Kevin Draper, who is the founder of New York Historical Tours. Uh, before we uh, continue with Union Square, Kevin, tell us a little bit about your business. What does New York Historical... One can guess what New York Historical Tours do. What, what kind of specializations does the, do you have? So we're, we do a few things. I mean, we're a working tour company. We do buses also, bikes. I mean, we can do pretty much anything. Um, but primarily, we focus on all the different neighborhoods in New York City. And we try to go beyond what I would call a Wikipedia-type thing where just basic knowledge. We try to go a little bit deeper in each neighborhood and, and tell more stories, try to really connect people to the neighborhood to, to 
focus and get people to realize that they really the city really is made up of many many different neighborhoods and the stories that they can tell and how layered it is so we try to do that with our tours and what makes a great tour guides is people's ability to to meld history in with storytelling you know to talk about the people who were there and what their lives were like and maybe interesting and funny stories about them and what's uh, how can people get in touch with you to find out more about your tours um, so you can go or to our website it's newyorkhistoricaltours.com um, or you can call us 646-320-1277 which is you can reach us that way but the best thing is always just go on the website and you'll have all the information here on how to reach us and it'll list all our products and everything well, well great well even though Union Square is not named after unions it does have a history of political and social activism doesn't it from going back even to the time of the Civil War what were some of the major things that happened over uh, over the years in Union Square? Well, when you call it Union Square, one of the things that it really was developed as is something known as a commons, which are well, common throughout the world. But basically, most cities will have an area where people would would gather for whatever, for maybe for uh, music. People might get there together to play music, maybe debate different things or protest. So Union Square being sort of like New York City's first real planned commons just made it a natural choice for protests. Now, give me an example. If you have more of a park, like say Madison Square Park, um, there's too many trees, too many bushes. It's, it's too much of a park to get a lot of people together. But whereas Union Square, when it was developed, there are much, there are bigger open spaces and it just sort of made it a natural place for people to gather. And, and well, and protests and stuff. So mm. that's where it started to sort of take on that new life as a, as a, a city center. Um, one of Tammany Hall's buildings, the, uh, what was it called, the Society of Tammany, or I forgot the exact name, uh, they had their headquarters uh, across the street on the northeastern side of the square. In fact, an interesting, uh, what I thought kind of really funny story is uh, uh, there was a big open space. And when there was a Republican mayor, I don't know who it was or what the year was, but that they actually constructed a building on it <laughs> to cut down on the amount of uh, 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 Tammany Democratic-inspired protests that would take place on that side of the park. Um, what was the Ladies' Mile, and uh, where did it start? How far did it go? When when did it when did it first start to become you know fashionable? So you're looking at the Ladies' Mile, is it sort of um, started, it, well, it actually starts at Union Square. It starts at around 14th Street, and it works its way up to about Madison Square. goes from Union Square over to 5th, over to 6th. So it takes up a pretty big area. Most people think it's just one street, but it's actually those few avenues from Union Square over to 6th Avenue. Um, and it was really in the mid and late 1800s, at a period known as the Gilded Age, where we had one of the greatest explosions of wealth, not just in New York, but in the world, um, happening here in the United States. And not just an explosion of wealth for the wealthy, but also you're getting the beginnings of what would be a middle class and something disposable income. So retail and us becoming a, commuter, uh, a consumer society has its start here. So places like Macy's will have its first store actually in Union Square. Tiffany's, which was more of a department store in lower Manhattan where you can find just about anything, furniture, um, just about anything you can buy. But when they actually just got it dedicated to jewelry, they opened up their new headquarters 
on Union Square, and that's when it became known as the um, Palace of Jewels is when it originally was called. Well, what, not called, it was called Tiffany's, but this is when they really started getting um, known for jewelry. And also their windows, is that about the same time? Yeah, that's the same thing, right, Tiffany windows, and just the idea of what we call today window shopping. So the idea of, of stores making a point to have the big windows for, so people just could walk by and see it, and hopefully that would sort of pull them in. But it became a very fashionable district, and also because women weren't really expected or really it was frowned upon to go out in public alone, either alone by themselves or with other women. That was just something they didn't do. That was just the, the way things were at that time. Ladies Mile was one of the few places in New York City that women could actually go together and walk around and shop, and there, it wasn't frowned upon. So it was, it was actually very liberating for women to be able to do that. And that would be on Ladies Mile. That's one of the reasons why I started to get that nickname because it was mostly women that would go into that area. At the time, there was a department store around the time of the Civil War down on Chamber Street. That building is still there, but that mm -hmm. was Stewart's. But then Stewart. they, they built a new one and they moved further uptown. Uh, mm -hmm. Everyone did, yeah. I mean, everyone, even like Brooks Brothers, that was further downtown. Um, was that on Catherine Street? or? Uh, it's, yeah, I think uh, it was. Yeah, it's exactly that, which would have been around the time of the Civil War. But they eventually moved up. Uh, even restaurants like the Monaco's, they started moving up. So everybody, every, everything started moving from Lower Manhattan up to Union Square. I mean, that was really the center of the city in the 1800s during this period when it was the Ladies' Mile. And when did these department stores um, give up Union Square and start moving further uptown? Uh, Starting really going into the 20th century, um, mainly because they were getting bigger and they wanted to build bigger buildings like Macy's. So they bought property up on um, 34th Street. You also had the subways that came, it was 1904 when the subways opened. So the idea of just getting more space. So really it's going into the 20th century is when everybody started pushing up further north. When did Union Square begin? Because it, it went through a, uh, a downward spile. Uh, when did that start occurring? Um, uh, not its very recent history, but when did, but when did Union Square, uh, because it did have a point at which it had become a ratty place. It was crime infested. And it was the whole city in general. It really started back in the 1960s. Um, you could trace it back a little bit further after World War II. A lot of people were moving out of New York to move out to the suburbs. So we started losing our tax base and then we started cutting services. And so the whole city was on a general decline. But really, the 60s is when you can see a really big decline. And by the 1970s, it was probably at its worst. So the whole city was like that. I mean, most neighborhoods. Um, so that's really when it was probably at its worst, I'd say the 1970s, which at the same time made it um, attractive for people because the, with the real estate values going down, people were able to move in like artists, um, people were opening up studios. So it was sort of really starting to change at that point for the better. Mm. And speaking of, before we talk about it's, uh, uh, some of the recent good things and, and, and the, and the uh, uh, making nicer of Union Square, Andy Warhol had two of his um, factories in Union Square. Yeah, he? Yes, he did, actually. Um, both of them in Union Square, that's right. And mainly because he was attracted because they're, they're cheaper rents and he can get all the big space. Uh, he did films there, artwork there. Um, Lou Reed, who spent a lot of time there, wrote a song called The Walk on the Wild Side, which is actually about that neighborhood because it was literally walking around that neighborhood that he thought of that song. So next time you listen to Walk on the Wild Side, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about Union Square. Union Square. And of course, Andy Warhol got shot, right? but it wasn't on the square. It was actually in, in, his, in his studio. In his studio, yes. yes. 
Um, anyone who hasn't seen the, the movie was in the 90s, I Shot Andy Warhol. It's definitely worth a, worth a watch. When did Union Square begin its, um, reverse its decline and begin its journey to uh, uh, more of the kind of urban place that we see today? Well, probably the two biggest things that really helped to start turn, to turn things around is one, it's actually the first bid in New York City, the Business Improvement District. So you, you have local businesses and stuff Get sort of getting together just to help to to it's a private entity in in a way, but it's a way to sort of put money into cleaning up and fixing up the neighborhood, patrolling the neighborhood. They were actually hiring their own security in the neighborhood back at the time. This is back in the 1980s, and that was a real model for every other neighborhood in New York. So I mean, bids are very common. I mean, just almost every neighborhood would have a bid nowadays, but they're the first. And the first bid in the city was in Union Square. It was in wow. Union Square, so they're first. And that really, people when they're looking to see how neighborhoods could turn around, people look back to that because they're the first to really do that. So it's really one of the first neighborhoods to really start turning around in New York City and Manhattan itself. And the other thing was the farmer's market. How long has the farmer's market been there for? Um, well, at this point now, it's probably been almost 40 years. Wow. Um, it's actually the second, so I don't well, want to say I'm, it's the I'm, first. Well, I'm, I'm 58, and it just seems like it hasn't been that long that it's been there. Yeah, but, it's uh, been there for a while, yeah. Um, and it's actually the second farmer's market in New York, but... It was a big deal because one of the things that bringing the farmer's market in is this whole idea of uh, farm to table, which is sort of very trendy today. But that was really, they started that again a long time ago. And it was great for the local restaurants because they could get all their local produce, right? But it was also a way to sort of help to clean up and make the area safer, especially on the weekends. And it helped to bring sort of families in and people that lived in the neighborhood, sort of getting people into the park. So something as simple as a farmer's market could really be the beginnings of turning around a neighborhood. Mm. Actually, the, um, on the Gramercy show, we had the uh, owners of Friend of a Farmer, and they also uh, highlighted that they started getting their ingredients from the farmer's market uh, way back when they, when they opened their business. Um, Washington Square has a number of interesting statues in the, in the Washington Square, sorry, Union Square, because mm -hmm. I know there's a uh, statue to, you know, the father of our country, quote-unquote, in Union Square. What are some of the other statues that are in Union Square, aside from Washington? So... Um, well, it actually ties in with Washington because there's you have the statue of George Washington, and that was a very important spot because that's when when Washington retook New York City, when the war was officially over. That's where the troops originally met. Oh, and you, where Union Square? Is. Where it is today? Oh, yes. Wow. So they actually gathered in that spot, and then they marched down to retake the city. They didn't have to fight for it because the war was over, but it's very symbolic. That's why the statue has his hand out. But it's also one of the first statues in the city. So what one of the ways maybe aside from the one to George the Third, which was pulled down. Yeah, that one, yeah, that one <laughs> and didn't melted go, into a cannon. Yeah, that one didn't go over too well, you're right. Um, so the idea of we were getting this thought of we wanted to be sort of like a European city. And one of the things you do is you, you know have statues or the, the architects you have. So that was one of the first in New York. So it was very important for that. Right near there, there's a statue of um, Marquis Lafayette. And he's very important to the American Revolution. He's very close to George Washington. But what's interesting with that statue, that was actually uh, designed and made by Bertoldi, the same um, sculptor as the Statue of Liberty. Oh, wow. So to have another work by Bertoldi in New York, apart from the Statue of Liberty, that's in Union Square. In the 1980s, there's a statue of Gandhi that was put into the square. Um, it was marking, I think it was this hundred and something his birthday. I don't know. I don't want to give you the wrong year, but it was basically a statue to honor him. They weren't sure where to put it in New York. 
but they wanted to put it in the reason they decided on Union Square is because of our history of Union Square with peaceful protests and the idea of doing things through peaceful movements. That's why they put the statue of Gandhi there. And it was across from the old amalgamated bank building, too. <laughs> branch right there on 15th Street. Mm-hmm. And it's actually really, there's not that much there. And it's very it's very moving to see to see his statue. Yeah. Um, I always stop when I'm there and just look at it for, for a couple of seconds. Um, and also, one interesting thing about Union Square, too, is we have some recent immigrants there from Washington Square Park. Um, many of the street chess players who used to play in Washington Square Park have moved to Union Square. Do you know why they did that? I mean, there's officially there's certain ways they say why this happened, but basically Washington Square Park went under a major renovation re- recently, so they did a lot of work uh, that. So and Union Square has become truly uh, the town meeting spot of New York City. So I think the chess players, at least people, some of the people I talk to, they feel that they're not getting as harassed as much as because because Washington Square they're trying to make it a little bit more of a. Um, I don't want to knock Washington Square, but they, they were kind of ch- ch- chased out, not officially, but they were made to feel uncomfortable. Oh. So they went up to Union Square because they they feel a little more comfortable. And most people do there. And that's what makes it such a great place because it's, you know, you say New York's a melting pot, but where really is it a melting pot? And Union Square is one of those places where you see people really coming together where it's a real melting pot. And the chess players, I feel, really are part of the official welcoming committee of the square. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Kevin. We've been speaking with Kevin Draper, who's a historian and co-founder of New York Historical Tours. Thank you so much for being on Rediscovering New York. We'll be back in a minute, and when we do come back, we are going to speak with our second guest, who actually has a business right on the square. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m. we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back. Are we back? Yes, we're back. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about neighborhoods and the myriad textures of New York. Uh, Even though I work in real estate, one thing our show is not about is the business of real estate. But there is a good show about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my colleague and friend at Halstead. Vince and his show airs live on Tuesday mornings and can be heard at voiceamerica.com. 
You can like us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. Original, I know. And you can also follow me on Instagram, Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our show's mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, when I am not hosting the show, I am a real estate agent in our amazing city, and I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you'd like to see how I can help you with your real estate needs, you can reach me at 646-306-4761 or my now famous email address, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. Well, we're very pleased to have as our second guest on the show about Union Square, someone who has been in business and has been a part of the fabric of Union Square for quite a long time. Haruko was born in Japan, uh, moved to San Francisco at the age of 10. On graduating from college, she was hired as the in-house photographer at Park Xerox. After a year, she became a freelance photojournalist covering politics, major league sports, celebrities, and the art scene for a dozen years before her move to New York in 1996. Haruko arrived in the city and began shooting for Morgan Stanley during what became the dot-com bubble, which I remember having worked in the internet in the late 90s. Uh, she documented the historic IPOs of major corporations, major corporations such as Amazon, Martha Stewart, Priceline, and more. In 1999, Haruko founded a photo studio and event space rental business in Union Square, sorry, and it's called... Capsule Studio NYC. Did I get that right? You yes? did. Okay, you did. Thank you very much. During the 20 years, Capsule Studio NYC hosted iconic shoots such as Lady Gaga's premiere shoot for the album cover of the Fame Monsters. Other celebrities in the early years include Alicia Keys' first shoot for Rolling Stone magazine. Recent celebrities include Farrell, Spike Lee, Questlove, and more. Her corporate guests get a kick out of the celebrity and creative energy that is ingrained in her studio, and it's my pleasure to welcome How to Go to Rediscover New York. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. You were born in Japan. Yes. What had your parents decide to move to the United States and move to the Bay Area? Uh, well, it was a natural transition. My father was born and raised in Hawaii, and I was a, basically an army brat. So we knew we were going to come to the States, and they decided that the San Francisco Bay Area was a place for us. Hmm. How did you get into photography? How did you How get, did into, I get into Yes. Um, well, that's very... I know it's a pointed question, but... Yeah. yeah um, well, I did take one course in beginning photography in college, and then, of course, I was then miraculously hired at, at uh, Xerox Park. Um, and uh, uh, I'm basically self-taught, and I learned photography in a way that I think is the most practical way, is by doing, by doing assignments, <laughs> is how I learned my craft. When did you decide to open your own studio, Haruko? Well, I've always had a studio, even when I was doing photography in San Francisco. But when I came to New York and I started doing a lot of on-location work for Morgan Stanley, um, I decided that I, st I needed a home, a home base, a photo studio. But, but I wanted something bigger. So I thought I'd, I'd take a, a stab at having a photo rental business. And um, it really kind of took over my life. <laughs> How You opened your studio... Uh, on Broadway and 18th Street, right at Union Square. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with the name Capsule Studio NYC? Well, Capsule is sort of a play on time and space because that is what we sell. We sell you know, time in a space, so it kind of came together as Capsule. And at that time, 20 years ago, Capsule wasn't such a popular word or name. And subsequently, now there are many businesses with the name Capsule in it. But back then, we were original. 
your um, space now is also an event space and not just this photo studio. Yes. When, when you opened your studio, did you plan to have an event space as well? Or was it strictly a studio and did you eventually like also decide, hey, this is such a cool place for me to shoot and to work. I should share it with other people and have other people yeah. be able to, to uh, use it for their event. Well, the first thing was I wanted a really practical studio. We had really high ceilings and, you know, 60-foot ceilings. And, and I really wanted a studio that could uh, produce great work, like enough electricity, et cetera, et cetera, um, and, you know, having a psych wall. But then what I also asked the architect was to give me a studio that was also pretty, but a pretty space to work in that was comfortable, that was not as industrial as, say, another studio with concrete floors. So it would still have these these things that were uh, that made it comfortable, made it, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is I wanted a feminine studio that could still, you know, kick ass as a photo studio, and that's what I got. Mm. So having that, it, it was a natural progression into opening it up to events. Well, which brings us to Union Square. Mm -hmm. What brought you to Union Square to open your business? What was it about the name? Well, you know, to? Union Square was part of the iconic photo district of New York City. So, And when did you, you opened it in 1999? Nine. Nine, okay. Right, so it's been 20 years now. Um, when I first came to New York in 96, it was still a very iconic photo district. It was very concentrated. It was a place where there were labs, you know, back when... Everybody was shooting film, and you know, just in front of a computer. There was a lot of activity in the neighborhood. It was the, the most ideal place for a photographer to be because it had several labs in the neighborhood. It had photo stores. It had uh, studio rental equipment vendors. So everything you know, pertaining to photography was there. You could just walk two blocks and have all your needs met. Hmm. Well, I... I shot film until about four years ago. Oh, oh great! <laughs> and there's still a photo. Uh, there's still a, a lab down on Avenue A and Seventh Street. Luster. Sure. Yes, yes. I haven't been to them in a year. I actually gave away my last ectochrome film to somebody to, oh, nice. uh, because I don't I, I don't shoot it anymore. Um, describe the vibe of Union Square and what you like about it now. What is it that excites you about? Um, it? Well, currently, I mean, I love Union Square because it's a very chill neighborhood. It's got a lot of it's a very vibrant commercial neighborhood, so you have these corporate flagship stores that are there. And at the same time, it's a very, things are really on a human scale, meaning, for instance, like when I need to get my iMac repaired, I can just go across the street to the iStore, you know, just stick my iMac under my arm and literally walk across without taking a cab or an Uber or whatever. Um, and so all my needs are there. The vet is a block away, um, so my dog's needs are also met. <laughs> Um, great restaurants, you know, really from from low to high. So, and it's also a very entertaining neighborhood. Mm. Does Union Square excite you? Do you find it exciting? I'm never bored going to work. Um, I know that if I, I can always uh, entertain myself, or I can always get anything I need in the neighborhood. It's just fantastic. Whether whether it's you know office supplies or, or technical things or, or cameras um, or you know just anything to do with my business, it's just everything is within reach. So it's so convenient and the people are very nice. Mm. Yeah, it's a very young neighborhood. And one thing we didn't mention with Kevin was uh, Max's Kansas City was on the other side of the square on Park Avenue South. I remember in my uh, sort of uh, punk following days in the late 70s, uh -huh. went there a couple of times. <laughs> and then it uh, turned into a, a, a fancy bodega down the road. Uh, how have 
you seen Union Square change since you've been part of the community, since you opened the studio? Well, you know, it's gone through different changes because simply because of the time. You know, you had the 9-11, then you had the, the depression, the depression, excuse me, recession of 2008. So there were dips in, you know, uh, dips in the neighborhood economically. Um, I'd say right now it's peaking. Um, it's very happening right now. It's very vibrant, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Mm. So you basically like the changes that have been going on in the neighborhood since since you moved there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Is there on the on the other side? Is there anything about the neighborhood that's changed that you haven't been as enthusiastic about? I can't really think of anything at the top of my head right now, but I think I think things are very nice. Mm. What are some of the favorite businesses that, that uh, you like in Union Square, and especially places to eat? That I frequent, that I frequently yeah, yeah, eat. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I just love the range. I mean, there's the, you know, $5 falafel truck on Park and 19th. There's my favorite Japanese fast food place, Enju, on 17th Street. Everything is literally a block away, and it is just a high concentration, whether or not it's something like that. You can also go to the iconic Union Square Cafe, it's, the place is filled with history. You can go to the Old Town Bar. Um, so you, there's a wide range of cuisine um, and price points. If you could look into a crystal ball and look at the future since you've been there for 20 years, mm. is there anything that you see the neighborhood becoming in uh, a number of years that it's not already? I know it's a kind of a, a, a pointed question. Well, I don't know. I really can't even predict that. It's, it's Things are always changing. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, rents are going up. Um, so can't really say. Mm. Is there anything that surprises you about the neighborhood? Things that, that you didn't know about it? And that well, I really loved the discussion we just had with Kevin. I thought that was really fascinating. Um, it, I think that New York is, is fascinating as a whole anyway. I mean, the last month I took a tour of the Flatiron with friends just because I wanted to know more about the history of it. So it's, it's just interesting where, you know, to be in a place where you pass by a statue, you don't even look at it twice, but when someone tells you about the history of it, you gain a greater appreciation for the time and really what the magnet that is New York, you know, draws people to this place. You know, one thing I love about Union Square myself is that it, it it's around the square. It's really not monotonic at all. There are so many different kinds of buildings and different periods and different you know really really beautiful things around beautiful architecture around the square. Um, okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Haruko. Be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com We are back with How to Go the owner of Capsule Studio NYC. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your business from an event space standpoint and where people can get in touch with you if they want to consider using your your studio for oh. events? Well, you know, our website is capsulestudio.nyc, and there you can either go into the meeting section or the photography section. There's very two separate sections of the website, and that's how you can find out more about what we do. Um want to ask you this question. You, you go by one name. How did you okay. come to go by how to go and not have a first and a last name professionally? Well, that, that's sort of a traditional Japanese thing to go. It's a very simplified Japanese way of just having one name out there. And I've always used that as a, as a byline. Ah, okay. Um, I want to go back to your photography business for, for a minute. Okay. Um, you photographed uh, some really memorable names and been in some really interesting people. What are some of the more memorable, who are some of the more memorable people you've actually worked with as a photographer? And, um, and if you have any interesting, um, uh, uh, not stories, but just experiences with, with having shot them in, in, in different, different environments. Um, well, you know, I really had a great time photographing a lot of uh, wonderful people. I mean, some of them would be like Kevin Bacon and his dog. And, you know, what happened was he came into the studio right when the Madoff scandal was happening. And he still took the time to come to my studio to be photographed with his dog. He was amazing, so professional, so wonderful. You would have never known that was going on until I read the news the next day um, that that he was one of the the um, what do you call? Oh, he was one of the victims. That's right. Oh, that's wow, right. Wow. Um, I've also had the opportunity to photograph Gore Vidal, you know, Angela Davis, uh, June Jordan, um, Edward Albee, a lot of really great people, Miles Davis. Um, but the studio itself. When did you photograph Miles Davis? Sorry. That was back in San Francisco. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. But the studio, you know, draws a lot of really great photographers. Um, so a lot of great photography has been done there by other photographers who are just internationally known, just just superb craftspeople and, and artists. Um, so we've had a great many fashion shoots and uh, celebrity shoots in there. And it's just, it's just ingrained with this, this kind of creative energy. Do you feel that the neighborhood adds something to your shoots and to and to the energy of, of, of being in, in your studio when people come to shoot them? Yeah, I'd like to think so because first of all, the accessibility of the studio itself, you know, is very easy. All the train lines are there in Union Square. It's one of the most concentrated places where you can take a train to. Um, just even walking to the studio is great. It's like an urban setting. Um, it's it's beautiful and it's easy. Um, once you get into the studio, you don't feel like you're 
locked into the studio. You still feel like you're part of the neighborhood. You know, outside the window, you see another beautiful building. Um, you feel like, you know, you can just go out and, and if you want to take a break, you go out. You never feel claustrophobic in the studio because of the location. Hmm. You had an interesting set of experiences recently involving a trip to Rome and also yeah. involving Union Square. Do you want to tell us about it? I, when you sure. told me about it, I was, you know, that was so iconic about the, the world, but also yeah. about New York and about Rome. Yeah. So, you know, I was in Rome and, and I was looking for uh, some treats for my friends. And I ran into this chocolate store with like a 19 foot wide 16 foot high, what those are the dimensions of my studio accidentally, but um, <laughs> by that huge of chocolate streaming down behind the cash register. Um, it was beautiful. I, I, you know, stamped up a bunch of chocolates, brought them home. And then what happens is that three months later, that exact same store, Venki, opens up one block away from my studio. It's as if I can't go, and you know, the world is coming to Union Square. It's very difficult to go out. And, and get things that are special outside in the world because it's all available here in, in New York. Hmm. What makes Venko's chocolate special? <laughs> uh. um, well, I don't know. I think, they're, I think it's been around for a while. And, you know, but what's really special is the store, right? So, hmm. What advice would you have for someone who was looking to open up a business or some kind of a practice around Union Square as a business owner who's been there for a long, long time? I'd say you'd have to be, um, you'd have to have deep pockets now. <laughs> you'd have to be, you know, passionate and uh, be prepared to, uh, to, to handle a lot of different hurdles. Mm. Are there any interesting or colorful types of neighborhood personalities that you have come to know in the time that you've been there? Sure. And when I first moved in, which is 20 years ago, my next door neighbor, you know, like I said, this neighborhood was filled with photographers. So you would always run into you know, great characters. But my next door neighbor was Hugh Bell, who's a very um, famous photographer. Um, you know, and even just down the street was Irving Penn's studio. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and he's like the master photographer. So. Hmm. Okay, we're going to open up our phone lines for how to go. The phone number is 877-480-4120. We have a little time left, so we'd love to hear from any of our listeners who'd like to ask any questions about Union Square and about how to go and her photography and her business uh, being around Union Square. Um, is there anything you wish that Union Square had but that doesn't have? Hmm. That's a hard question because I really find it not lacking. I mean, I just think it's really complete for me, for my business. I don't really feel like, oh, I really wish, you know, this was here. Mm. All right. Um, any other interesting stories about the neighborhood since you've been there and experiences that you've had? My experiences, well... I don't know. It's just it's just every day is different. Every week is different. You know, one day I would have a photo shoot. Next, next week I would have a couple of corporate meetings. So there is no typical day at the studio. You know, everything's changing. Hmm. Was it always a dream of yours to, to open your own studio in New York City? It was a dream of mine to come to New York City always. I mean, I love San Francisco deeply and I really love my time there but I always wanted to be in a full 
grown international city, and that's what New York City is. Um, so it was always a dream to come here. Um, and uh, yeah, so here I am. When you moved here, because I used to do business in San Francisco, and I loved San Francisco, but being a native New Yorker, um, whenever I was there for a long period of time, it would seem like I was ready to come home. Was, was there something that sort of gave you the itch to, to move here? To or? move. Yeah, well, as a photojournalist, I think I got to know every nook and cranny of San Francisco and all the lovely characters and all the lovely places. And it was just, I felt like it was just time to move on. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I just had such a great time there, and I was ready to move on to m- new challenges. And New York certainly gave me a lot of new challenges. It was really, it was, you know, it was not... It was there were some very rough times in order to, to, to get through um, economically and also professionally, and uh, I had no idea I was going to start a photo rental studio business. No, huh. no, huh. it was just an idea I had, and um, I and I did it. When you moved to New York, Haruko, did you have um, particular and specific? work opportunities or did you decide you just wanted to do it and then you would find those things when you came here i was kind of a risk taker i mean i had some contacts but basically i came and just really started fresh Mm -hmm. and the rest is history as they say and now you have your own (laughs) studio what are some of the interesting kind of organizations or parties that you've had at the studio the people Hmm. um well, we do lots of things like press launches. We do fashion, you know, production for Fashion Week. Um, so there's a just a wide variety of usage for the space. I mean, space in New York City is hard to find, and the right one is hard to find. So, yeah, we're part of that mix. Of all the work that you do, is there anything that you feel more impassioned about? Fashion, about, about portraiture, people... Um, people and their pets what for my own work for my yes own? yes well i've always uh you know i i started shooting animals pets you know uh companion animals also horses and now horses I'm re- in your studio not or in my no? studio no, no no i have to go out for that uh, um but i'm now turning my attention to ballet dancers it just so happens that the american ballet theater has their studios a block away from my studio so oh yeah their dance studio they're like teaching studios at block away yeah, but oh. that's where they rehearse as well. So oh. yeah, okay. There's lots of different activities going on in, in that area. Hmm. Are you going to be doing any work for ABT in the coming up? Well, I'm doing personal work with some of the dancers. Is what I'm doing. I'm not really working with ABT right now, but uh-huh. certainly with um, some of the dancers. Yeah. Oh, cool. Excellent. All right. Well, we have been spending some really great time with Haruko. Haruko has a event space business called. Capsule, Capsule Studio NYC, sorry. Um, we've been talking with Haruko about her journey from San Francisco to New York and to Union Square. Uh, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, if you have comments or questions about the show or if you'd like to get on the show's mailing list, please email me. It's jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. I also want to give a plug for next week's show. You know, We do shows mostly about neighborhoods. Uh, once in a while, we do a special show. Next week, we're going to be concentrating on the history of cycling in New York. And we're also going to have a guest from TD Bank's Five Borough Bike Ride. We're looking forward to that next week. You can like us on Facebook, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Jeff Goodman NYC. 
Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in trusts, estate planning, and probate administration. And don't forget, when I'm not hosting this show, I'm a real estate agent at Halstead. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide our clients with the best service and expertise in New York real estate. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761, or of course, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. Our producer is Ralph Storyar. Our engineer is Chris Gutierrez. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Stay tuned for At Home with David Theergartner coming up next at 8 p.m. right here on talkradio.nyc and at 9 p.m. Beyond Potential, Living Life Your Way with Noreen Supter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.